For some of you, this might be your first time here today. And so, you know, whenever, um, you know, you're trying to like jump into a jump rope, you know, and they're like, they're doing the whole, I don't know what, double dutch or whatever stuff going on, you know, and you're trying to like choose when to jump in. Uh, today, like if this is your first time, it might feel like you're jumping in and getting hit on the side of the head with a jump rope. All right. Uh, and, and so just, just, if that's how you feel today, just, just kind of go with us where we're at. And then you can catch up online if you'd like through the past uh, sermons that we've had in this series. But, uh, but Loving Logic is a series that is dedicated to, uh, to helping us to, to have biblical answers for unbiblical philosophies, right? Uh, in this day and age that we live in, there's a whole lot of thoughts and ideas around Jesus, who he is, and how, uh, how that, that, I guess, adjusts the way that we should live. And uh, many people that have kind of held to traditional beliefs for many years are questioning those beliefs, um, but in a different way. And so our goal in this series is sort of shine a light on that. And so that's what we're going to do here today. In our series, we've used the scripture each week, Colossians 2, chapter 8. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by, by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, all right? And so like we've, we've talked about, there's a whole lot of philosophies out there. There's a whole lot of ideas about a lot of things, about truth, what is good for a society. Um, there's a whole lot of ideas and been around for thousands of years, okay? And here we are, uh, same ideas, new package, okay? 2022, here we are, same ideas, new package. And, uh, but our goal in this series is to be informed and equipped to hold fast to and declare biblical truth in a loving and logical way. Did you know that you can uh, believe something and talk about it in a loving way and in a logical way, a way that makes sense? Okay, uh, like some people are really good at saying what they believe um, in a really illogical and very unsavory way because they don't really know what they believe very well. You know what I'm talking about? So there's a lot of defensiveness. And what happens in our day and age is if anybody says something that's kind of like against what we believe or different than what we believe, typically people go immediately into defense mode immediately into defense mode. And as believers, we don't wanna live like that. We don't wanna live in defense mode. Y'all with me on that? Can we be different? A little bit different than defense mode all the time, right? So, um, so this is a series discussing uh, a movement in the church that rejects the traditional doctrines of the church and this group of people who are progressing into something new, to something different, really into pluralism at the end of the day, which is just a mixture of a lot of different religions, a lot of different belief systems. And uh, that's kind of what we're calling out. It's called progressive Christianity. Now, I wanna say this really quick. Uh, progressive Christianity is a spectrum, okay? It's not, like, it's, it's not like people who are all on the same page, who are all agreeing to the same tenets and are all a group, a group together. It's just a, 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 a very vague group of people kind of ambiguously reaching out and grabbing holds of different belief systems. And so when I say progressive Christianity, you're not gonna find just one type of progressive Christian. Guys, similarly, similarly to Christianity in and of itself, if somebody just says they're a Christian, that could mean a lot of different things. Y'all with me? And that's, it applies to really every group, every tribe, okay, if you will, in our world. There's, there's spectrums to all these things. And so anyway, it's the same thing with this. And uh, we've been discussing a book uh, by the man named Philip Gully. He wrote a book called If the Church Were Christian. 
And in that book, he made 10 statements about what it would look like if the church were Christian. And he's a progressive Christian thought leader. So these statements, again, we've, we've tried to make it very clear that these statements we don't, we don't agree with, okay? There's some truth to them, like there is in every statement. There's, there, there's a segment of truth, but the conclusions that they lead to uh, are very different than the conclusions that we come to. Okay, so today we're gonna be discussing three of those statements here in just a moment. But last week we discussed the authority of the Bible. Okay, before that, we talked about the deity of Christ. We've talked about sin and atonement. We've talked about a few different, very heavy-hitting doctrines that we believe in, and these statements come up against those doctrines. Now, at first, those statements don't seem to come up against these doctrines, and that's what's so alluring about them is that uh, the first time you hear the statement, you might even be like, yeah, I agree with that. But it's the thought process behind that statement that begins to fuel that statement and begin to put up, push people off course, because at some point the Bible doesn't agree with that statement, <laughs> okay? Or the way that someone interprets that the Bible doesn't agree with that statement. So authority, we talked about last week, authority of the Bible. Authority is a touchy word, um, but the Bible teaches that authority is good. It brings order and safety. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you are like anti-authority people? Like if there's a rule it's, it's meant to be broken. You know what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hands, but I see a lot of people smiling. You know what I'm talking about? We, we talked about a speed limit a couple weeks ago. It's like, you see the speed limit, it's 35, and it's like, well, don't tell me what to do. I'm gonna go 55, because it's a free country. Freedom, right? That's the mindset. Don't tell me what to do. So authority, when you start talking about authority and authority structures, things get really touchy. But authority is actually good, and authority brings order and safety to a society, to our lives. And the reality is that in the beginning, we were under perfect authority. When we look at back, back at the garden, I know a lot of you, if you've been around, you're like, oh my gosh, you guys go back to the Garden of Eden so much. You talk about sin so much. Guys, if we don't talk about it, we don't remind ourselves of what it, how God created things optimally for our good, it was good, okay? And, and we'll look at today and see like, why isn't it still good? Because of sin. And we have to remember that. So authority, as it was created, just like sex or anything else, was good, right? And then sin uh, uh, contaminates that, and now we live under corrupt authority, okay? But all of you live under authority, whether you want to or not. You all live under some sort of authority, and it's the way that it is. But because we're under imperfect authority, uh, that, that abusive authority or authoritarianism destroys trust and creates extreme skepticism and cynicism of any and all leadership. That's where we live today. There's extreme skepticism and cynicism of any and all leadership. It doesn't matter at what level, whether it's a school, whether it's a family, whether it's your job, any and all leadership is being questioned. And uh, it's, it's, it's usually a reaction. A lot of the things that we're gonna talk about today are reactions or overreactions to real things that have happened. But it's an overreaction to those things. And so we've gotta find a balance in how we, we think about these things. Um, so the overreaction to authoritarianism or bad leadership is people saying we don't need leaders at all. We don't need leaders at all. All right, that's what the whole abolish the police thing is. And I'm not gonna get all political today, but that's what that is. It's an it's a overreaction. It's like get rid of any and all leadership. But the thing about that is that that type of thinking is illogical because we're all going to be under some sort of authority. It's just whether that authority is good or bad, okay? But there's always gonna be, y'all, there's always gonna be somebody in charge. 
<laughs> this whole idea that we're supposed to have like a flat society without, any, without anybody like making the rules or enforcing the rules. And I'm not just talking about police at this point. I'm talking about bigger than that. It's just not reality. Come on. At some point, somebody is going to be saying yes and no, this is right, this is wrong. And so this is a very, uh, by the way, in this series, a lot of the other things that we've talked about have been kind of conceptual, very theological, very philosophical. For some of you, it might have felt like it was going over your head. The things that we're going to talk about this week and the next two weeks are very tangible. It's very much like you can put handles on these things. This is where the rubber starts really meeting the road in, in this ideology uh, or the clash of these ideologies, if you will. So someone is always going to be in charge. So the answer to bad leadership is not no leadership, it's good leadership. Y'all with me on that? All right, it's good leadership. We wanna have good leadership. This also applies to the church. Authority in the church has been delegated. You go back to Jesus, you got the apostles, they delegate authority to the first elders and, and so on and so forth. De authority in the church has been delegated generation after generation. And honestly, in many ways, it's still the same exact thing here today. Any church leader that you see, someone came before them and said that this person is gifted and qualified to lead in, uh, in the church. Okay, 1 Timothy talks about this quite a bit. You can go and read that. 1 Timothy uh, describes this process. And uh, the same thing happens here today, but there's problems whenever someone is delegated authority. Just like in any other, any other uh, uh, job or in any other family or whatever the case is, we have problems whenever authority is delegated and in the church. Number one, some people disagree with the way that some church leaders lead, right? So a church leader has been given authority to lead, and then you've got this giant community of people, some of which agree with the way that that person leads, some of which disagree. And that's very subjective, okay? It's very subjective. It's based on a whole lot of different dials, Okay, personalities and, and, and uh, focuses and callings and just a whole lot of different things. And, and so it's very subjective. But then uh, there's also the potential, there's another problem. It's the potential of sin and corruption in the church because guess what? Church leaders, pastors are humans too. That's right. I don't know if you guys know this, but like I'm a human being. That's right. I was born in sin just like you. And so every pastor, every church leader that you come into contact with, they are not like deity, okay? They're not, some, they're not larger than life. They're regular people. And so when people begin to encounter regular people who have a title of a church leader, some you know, elder, deacon, whatever, you know, depends on a lot of different, a bishop, pastor, whatever. Whenever they encounter people who are regular people, some people have issue with that. Now I'm telling you this, just because pastors are people is not some sort of excuse for all the corruption and the sin and the bad things that happen. That's not what I'm saying, okay? That, but the reality is it's two truths at the same time, okay? Now, a side note, kind of before we, we move on, um, you know, there, there's a tension in leading and following. Um, you know, the things that we've already talked about, what happens is people get hurt and frustrated because they're under bad leadership. And then what, what happens is, is we have a culture of no trust of any leadership. But how many of you have ever, you've ever had a horrible boss? Like, I'm, I mean, come on, y'all. If they're sitting next to you, don't raise your hand. But you, like, you just had a, a really bad boss. And you're like, you weren't the only one. Like, everybody's like, no, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. How hard is it to follow a bad boss? It's hard. Dude, five days a week, you're having to wake up. 
You know what I'm saying? Get ready, show up, and you know what kind of culture you're walking into. That's very frustrating. It literally will affect the, I mean, the, the quality of your life, okay? I had a job years ago, and I'm not gonna get too specific because somebody's in here right now who, who I worked with at that job, so, uh, so they weren't the problem at all. They were, they were incredible, okay? But there was other people there <laughs> that I dreaded going to work every single day. And then I got fired from that job because people lied about me. That's right, the old office politics. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody said I wasn't doing my job, and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I'm doing my job. Anyway, all right, a little, a little salty. A little salty about like that, you know? But anyway, it's bad. It, it affects your life. And so we, we know what it's like to be under what we would consider to be poor authority. But, but how many of you have been an employee, <laughs> come on, and then you stepped into the role of employer, and then you realize it ain't so easy to lead all the time, is it? It's not. Uh, when I was growing up, I, I always loved being the number two guy. Like, I never wanted to be number one, okay? I always wanted to be like the assistant or like the guy that was just like, maybe go to the meetings and kind of help plan things. But as far as being the tip of the spear and being the one that's actually responsible if everything hits the fan, I never wanted to be that guy. Uh, I used to be associate uh, or assistant worship uh, pastor here. I, I say that I did it in like in action, but I didn't have the title, which was even better. No title at all. I was just the media guy, you know, and uh, and I loved I loved being supporting the the worship pastor at the time because man, you know the good, bad, bad and ugly. You know he got to deal with it, and uh, I just got to chill. And then um, and then you know he transitioned out, and I stepped in to worship pastor, and I was like, this is horrible. This is really, really bad. And then I don't know what happened. At some point, I stepped into senior pastor. I don't know why I did that. But uh, anyway, no, no, no. Only slightly, only just a little bit at times. Everything was good, then 2020 happened. I'm like, oh, gosh. <sighs> anyway, all right. So, you know, following is difficult. Following leadership can be difficult, but also leading can be difficult. These two things are, are they're realities at the same time. And guess what, y'all? There is no perfect follower and there is no perfect leader. And so there's always going to be a tension in this right here, in our, in our society, in your family, in your job, in a church. It ain't gonna change. And so we just need to kind of settle that and, and we need to, to kind of swallow that and we need to take some steps forward in understanding that because people are looking for utopia nowadays. They're looking for perfect perfection and it's just not, it's not a reality. But both of these things are true. So with this mindset, well, let's dive into these three statements. The first statement is this. Progressive Christians would say that encouraging personal search is more important than group uniformity. Encouraging personal search is more important than group uniformity. And again, as we say these statements, at times they might sound a little bit vague or ambiguous, and they kind of are, just like anything else, you would have to go read more about what this person says about it. But what we're doing is kind of cutting a slice of what this person is talking about, and we're gonna talk about it here on Sunday morning. So that's what we're gonna do right now. Here's the in other words of this statement. The church and its leaders are all about everyone acting right, uniformity, just do, do the right thing, do what the pastor says, and they don't really love people, all right? That's kind of the, in other words, encouraging personal search is more important than group uniformity, making people kind of all walk, lock, and step, right? And so, in other words, the church and its leaders are all about everyone acting right, uniformity, 
They don't really love people. Now, I know none of you here today would have ever thought that, of course. No, we would never think that, you know. Wiggins, nobody there ever has these types of thoughts, you know. Uh, but it's, it's a reality outside of today, outside, you know, for the other people. That church leaders are controlling and they don't really love people, they just want people to do what they tell them to do. And whenever it comes to this, if we really start boiling it down further, it's really about what to do when a believer's lifestyle is biblically sinful and whether or not it's loving to confront that sin. Because what happens is people live their lives and whenever they live their lives and it's not in, in accordance to the word of God, as we talked about last week, which is the authority in our lives. And then so let's, let's just kind of go there. A, a church leader steps in to confront that sin, to confront that lifestyle, people wave the flag of judgmentalism and control, and they're just trying to make everybody uniform, and they don't really love people, they just wanna tell you what to do. And you're gonna see a balance in everything that we talk about here today. But, But that's kind of an overreaction, okay? Because there is a reality to this. This is really talking about church discipline. It's really talking about church discipline. And this is the question. How should church leadership handle sin in the church? How should it, how, what, what should it look like in a community of people, of believers who say they believe in Jesus and, and we're, we're supposed to be living in accordance to how it is that Jesus says what it is to live like, right? To be a Christian. And people in that community quit living that lifestyle and begin breaking the commands of God. At what point does, is there a call to, to change? Okay, there's a spectrum to this. Is it, you know, jumping the gun too quick, but then also not jumping the gun at all. So what does it look like for, for a church discipline? Well, uh, proper discipline, first off, I wanna let you know, is, is full of grace and love and is necessary for order in our lives and our society. Authority, just like we talked about a second ago, is, is imperative for order in a society and in a family. And discipline is the same way in the church and in your family. Come on, if you're a parent in here, you know that you've got to have a disciplined lifestyle. You've got to have a disciplined home because if not, your kids will run you ragged, right? You've got to have some guidelines, man. Come on, that's a, that's a daddy right there saying uh, every day, man, every day. Like we don't do that here. How many of y'all, as long as you live under my roof, you're gonna live by my rules. Come on, you know, yeah, y'all know, y'all said it. So there's a certain level of, of, of discipline and authority. And did you know that that's actually, it's actually good? Now, can it be too much? Absolutely, there's an extreme to everything. Okay, but we can't throw everything out because of some bad situations. So, so church leaders have the unfortunate responsibility to bring church discipline when necessary. And I say unfortunate, I put that in there literally. Um, any pastor that loves to discipline or to have really hard, awkward conversations, they probably don't need to be a pastor because they're probably, they love their, that authority too much. My dad always says this story about this guy who uh, he, <laughs> he was like, just, he was a leader in the church and eventually he gets hired on at the church and he sits behind his desk and the first person walked in for counseling and he sits down and, he, and he, this is how he started his first counseling session with someone in the church. Now that I have authority, <laughs> like just turn in your letter right now, bro. You're like, you're done. You know what I'm saying? You're done. Uh, some people like authority too much, right? But, uh, but I wanna let you know that pastors aren't the first person when it comes to church discipline. It's not, you know, the first person is the Holy Spirit. That's right. We allow time for the Holy Spirit to work on people's lives. We're not running around, we're not God's cop. 
And I say we, like corporately, like all of us, we're not running around. We don't have this, this feel in this church where everybody's looking to see, you know, hey, are you doing everything just right according to my standards? And if you're not, I'm gonna have a conversation. And y'all, we ain't got time for all that, okay? We're not nitpicking people to death, okay? We're not, that's, that's judgy, that's, you know what I'm saying? We allow the Holy Spirit time to work in people's lives. Some people have been right with God for 30 minutes and people expect them to, to live like they've been right with God for 30 years. You know, and, and that's just mean. It, it's, not, it's not the heart of God and it's not what we're, what we're doing here at this church. And, and, and honestly, it's not what the majority of, of churches are like. Okay, I'm just, everybody's, Christians are so judgmental, judgmental. Y'all listen, no, there, there are some, don't get me wrong, there are some. But, but overall, there's a lot of really wonderful believers. So but the first person is the church. The, the, the second person is you. <laughs> you guys didn't... Um, react to that one very well. You're like, no, I don't wanna confront, I don't, like church discipline, no. No, listen, listen. The first person to jump in whenever stuff's hitting the fan is not, is not the pastor. The Holy Spirit's doing a work whenever we can't see it, right? The second person though is the people that are around them with the, with the actual relationship with them. If you have a relationship with someone who is, is struggling in their walk with God, you don't have to run to 17 people and tell them. You don't have to run to the pastor. If you know them and you're close to them, go to them out of love. Come on, y'all, right? Love them enough to have that difficult conversation. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, brother or sister, okay, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him, look at this, alone. Imagine that. If somebody messes up, you don't have to go tell three people before you go to them. Just, isn't that crazy? Um, <laughs> <laughs> if he, there's gonna be a little sarcasm here today, guys. Come on, we're having fun. We're having fun. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. And guess what? You don't have to go clean up all your gossip to three other people. You go to them directly, love them enough to have that conversation. You, you gained a brother, your relationship has grown, right? But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every, every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I'm telling you, first off, he didn't say run to the church leader, run to the priest, run to this. He said, man, go to them personally. If they've offended you, if they've hurt you, go to them. And if they don't listen, grab a friend, another friend or two, and y'all have a conversation. Say, man, this is what I'm feeling. They're saying this, let's, man, we need help mediating this. We need some, let's do what the Bible actually says. How many of y'all have ever heard of this actually happening? Maybe like four of us in the whole room, right? Because it doesn't happen very often. We wanna love one another to have the hard conversations. Relational con confrontation is best. Relational confrontation is best. Um, I wanna say this quickly uh, before I get to the pastor's part. Pastors don't know everything, okay? So uh, I know it's funny, sometimes people are like, they just think that the pastor knows everything, that they think that church leaders just know everything that's going on in the church, and we don't. We don't. It, look, just because it's posted on Facebook, first off, don't mean that we know about it. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't even have social media anymore. By the way, it's great. <laughs> it's really awesome. I love being clueless to the drama in society sometimes. But anyway, um, pastors don't know everything. And so to assume that pastors or church leaders know about something that's going on in the church that may need to be dealt with um, is also, it's also not, it's not true. Um, but there are three scenarios when church leaders have a responsibility to get involved to protect the church. And I, and I wanted to put that in there to make sure that you understand that anytime that a church leader or a pastor steps in to confront something, it's to protect the church, it's to protect the community, okay? 
It's not for fun. There's this thinking pattern in our society that it's like fun or judgy and like exciting. It's not. It's not. But there's three scenarios, and here's the three scenarios. Number one, it's to confront unrepentant sin. How should church leaders handle sin in the church? Well, they confront unrepentant sin. This might sound like group uniformity to some, right? Just let people live their life. Well, we confront unrepentant sin. Jesus goes on in this story in Matthew 18. He says, if that brother refuses to listen to them, the group of friends who went to them, if he refuses, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Come on, Jesus. This sounds a lot like group uniformity. A lot of people have never read this scripture before. They don't realize that Jesus actually says, hey, there's standards of living. And like, if, if, if you don't wanna live in accordance to these standards and you don't wanna actually repent and forgive and all these things and go through that process, then, then that person is, is removed from fellowship. Some people use the word excommunication and that's a strong word that hardly ever gets used and, um, and we never use it here. But uh, that, that, that would be an extreme uh, way of putting it, and that's, we don't excommunicate, okay? We don't do that, but, uh, but some people do. It's a little bit extreme, but there is a removal from fellowship. There is a, hey, man, until you stop living your lifestyle like that, like, we're just not gonna hang out on Friday nights anymore. Like, it, it's, man, I'm not, if I see you in Walmart, still gonna slap a high five, still gonna give you a hug, but like, there's a break in a relationship. And this right here is where it gets quiet and it gets awkward because you're thinking like, oh my goodness gracious, are we gonna start? Y'all listen, we've always believed these scriptures. <laughs> There's only been one time in 33 years here at Northwood Church that we've actually had to do what that thing just said. Where we actually had to ask somebody to basically leave the church. And it was after 10 years of them taking advantage of people in the church, it was harmful, unrepentant public sin. 10 years was probably too long. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because the body of Christ is, is a, supposed to be a safe place for people. And whenever there's people who are in there who are about basically taking advantage of people, you know, now it wasn't anything sexual. I want to make sure that you guys realize that. It wasn't any like something like that going on that we weren't handling. But it was like, uh, oh, make a mistake. Oh, let's repent. Make a mistake. Repent. And at some point it's like, you're, you're not changing. You're actually hurting the people around you. And so this right here doesn't happen very often, but Jesus is like, hey, there comes a point sometimes whenever th there, this scenario happens. Paul echoes this multiple times when he talks about church discipline in the New Testament. And so this is a reality, but it's for public unrepentant sin that's harmful to others. And uh, there's been other examples, by the way, in the church where we've confronted sin and typically it ends in uh, that person repenting and staying or not repenting and leaving. And that happens, that happens here and there. I won't say a lot because that doesn't really happen too much. But, but um, again, guys, today's the conversation where I'm just kind of pulling back the curtains and let you guys see what's going on. Um, and it's in response to these, these things that a lot of people are saying in culture. So uh, by the way, Paul does instruct if someone repents to reinstate them back into the, the, the church. So it's not a permanent thing. It's just, hey man, this is affecting, this is affecting all of our relationships. And so we need to... Um, be aware of that. The second thing though is that church leadership steps in to confront divisive behavior. Divisive behavior, people that wanna bring division to the body of Christ. Titus 3.10 says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, warn him twice, have nothing more to do with him. Wow. 
That's tough, huh? Come on, y'all. Only two chances. What happened to 70 times seven? <laughs> right? What happened to that? Obviously, it's not 490 times. You know, there's something he says here. Somebody's stirring up division in the church. Give them a couple passes and then ask them to leave. Did you know that that's actually a really positive thing for the body of Christ? Did you know that not every single person in the church is there for the church's own good and for the body of Christ and to give God honor and glory and to be a part of the church and love people and all this great stuff? Did you know that there are people who have ill motives and they might not know it themselves? That's the difficult part. Whenever you confront divisive behavior and that person said, it's not divisive, I'm actually being truthful. Yeah, well, you're doing it in a divisive way. And that's not what we do here. And at the end of the day, that subjectivity, there has to be an objective wall where it hits. And that's where church leadership steps in and says, no, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. There's a lot of other places that you can rant and rave and do all that kind of stuff. We don't do that here. Love you. Come on, y'all. Y'all with me? Y'all understand? And, and see, that creates a place of safety, not control, not group uniformity, but a place where there's like order. Come on, man. You know? So, all right. We confront divisive behavior. Next thing is to confront heresy or false teaching. That would be the next time that church leadership must step in to confront heresy or false teaching. First Timothy says this. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. This is Paul talking to Timothy, and I love certain persons because I think we can put quotations around that because Paul, Timothy knew who Paul was talking about. He's like, hey, uh, there's certain persons. They're teaching weird stuff. Okay, handle it. Did y'all know as soon as Jesus left, people were already starting to teach different doctrines? As soon as he left, the church was splitting. There was heresy all over the place. And Paul is holding things together. Peter and John, they're, they're, holding, they're writing these letters and they're holding doctrine together. And they're, and they're coming up against these guys who are rejecting the resurrection and rejecting you know, the deity of Christ. And they're like, no, we must stand firm and hold these truths, right? That's what they're doing. And still to this day, we're doing the same thing. That's what this series is, by the way. That's what this series is. Now, we don't have like a bunch of people in this church who are preaching all kind of crazy stuff and that's why we're doing this series. No, this is more of a, of a series to kind of talk about some things that are becoming very, very prominent in our society and we're just wanting to kind of blow the whistle on it, right? So um, let's keep moving because I got a lot of content. I wanna keep, keep moving. Uh, there's another statement. The, the second statement is this, that meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institutions. All right. Again, we're talking about church leadership, authority, and, and, and the, the, the logic of authority today and, and how it applies to the church. And so when it applies to the church, people say that meeting actual needs is more important than, make, than maintaining institutions. And for a lot of us right now, we read that and we're like, yes, I agree with that statement. Because there's a lot of truth to this, okay? There's a, we can't, by the way, there's no like, uh, if, if we're trying to like, if we're like on a seesaw right now with these statements, we're not like this, and we're not like this. But whenever you begin to say something has more importance than something else, what happens is when that weight shifts, it doesn't stop. It keeps going like this. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It might take a little bit of time, 
but eventually it ends up like this. And so to maintain balance, there has to be understanding of all the things that's being said whenever we hear statements like this. And so in other words, what this statement is saying is that the church is more about the brand than the kingdom. The church, the body of Christ nowadays is more about the brand. It's more about the look than it is about the kingdom of God. And you know what? There's a lot of scenarios where that's absolutely true where the church has been very uh, uh, leaning heavily to, uh, to strategies and to marketing and to whatnot and leaning away from actually ministering to people, right? And being ministers of the gospel. Not every church, just like normal, not everybody, but there are many examples of that. We're gonna give you an example here in just a second. But um, so progressive Christians believe that the sole mission of the church is to meet social ills of society and anything else is just maintaining the institution. So if the church, like even people would say that, that what we're doing here and now, gathering together, uh, you know, showing me speaking to multiple uh, locations, like this would be about maintaining the institution, maintaining the look, not about doing actual ministry. Why isn't the church out there doing what they say that they, they believe in? Why are they doing it? Why are they doing And there's some credence to it, but at the same time, there's also a lack of understanding about what's happening in this room right here and also what happens all throughout the week in the lives and the relationships between believers. There's a lack of understanding of what discipleship looks like in that arena as well. And it's like, if you're not out there picking up trash or whatever, then you're not doing anything. You know, if you're not out there, well, no, there's a both and to this, okay? Are y'all tracking with me a little bit here? Okay, so, so, um, this convo, this conversation has a lot to do with whether the church, and this is a big statement. This conversation has a lot to do with whether the church is about pure ministry to people or about corrupt exploitation of people. It's kind of where the mindset's at. It's like, is the church about ministering to people or exploiting people? That's a really, that's a really important question to ask, you know? And I think that these walls, these things need to get, they need to get punched. They need to get hit up against because there's so many examples of that happening left and right. One of the measurements of how, um, of this is how church leaders steward the resources of the church to accomplish the mission of God. One of the ways that you can look at and say, okay, is a church or is a group of people that says they're the church, you know, are they actually operating this way? We can look at how the, how the resources of that church are being stewarded. So this is a question. What are church leaders responsible to steward? If we know that accomplishing the mission of God, the Great Commission is important, then how do we steward what we're doing, what we have, right, what God gives us, how do we steward it to accomplish the mission of God? Well, the first thing that church leaders are responsible to steward are people. People. It's actually, uh, it's our first value. You know, when you came in today, you might have seen that. It's our first value. We value people. And one of our other values is stewardship. But how, how, does, how does a church, how do church leaders steward people? And when you think about people, there's so many, so many different facets to who people are. There's you know, individual people in regards to their story, where they're at in their journey with Christ. There's their current state of just time and energy, okay? Uh, money, different things. It, you, you, that all encompasses a, a person. And what happens is people come to a church 
and we're here, so you can picture this church, but any church, people come to a church, man, they wanna learn about Jesus. They wanna, they wanna get to know other Christians, right? They wanna grow in their faith. They wanna find a safe community. And so what happens is a pastor says, okay, this is the direction that we're going. These are the things that we do. This is the vision here. And people basically either trust and opt in or don't trust and opt out. But whenever they trust and they opt in, they also give of their lives to that community. And so church leaders have a, a massive responsibility in how they guide and direct that community. What they say matters more than something else. You know, and, and a lot of times it comes down to things like events or, you know, we used to do a lot of things around here, um, uh, certain things that, that took a lot of energy from, from people and time from people, but also a lot of resources, money, right? It took a lot of things to do those things and they were big and they were fun and a lot of people still ask, why do we do those things? Well, simply put, because we didn't feel that that was a good stewardship of God's people and God's resources. That's why. And so we, we don't do that like that anymore because it was good for its time, but now it's not for us. If somebody else does it, that's fine. But we've changed direction. Why? Because we want people to focus on people. We want people to focus on learning more about Jesus and how they can actually tell others about Jesus, not about just doing fun, cool things all the time. And guess what? Some people don't like that. So it's born out of a heart of compassion for people to actually help them utilize their lives for the proper thing in the church. And then people misconstrue that and say, well, we don't do any of that anymore. And I really liked it when it was like that. It's like, man, kind of missing the heart there, right? But guess what? That's part of being a church leader. Sometimes you make decisions to steer things a certain direction and people don't like it. And uh, it's not a like, well, fine then, leave. That's not the heart. If that is the heart of a pastor, then they might not be in the right profession. <laughs> or they might be burnt as well. The next thing is resources. So church leaders steward, steward uh, people and also resources. And this is where it gets very sensitive, where it gets very, oh man, so subjective in this conversation. How does a church leader steward the finances of the church? How does a church leader steward the assets of a church? And it's understandable why people are so sensitive when it comes to this conversation, whenever you see stuff like this. I honestly believe this, that the reason why Jesus hadn't come is because people are not giving the way God told them to give. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Wow. I mean, when you understand it, you can speed up the time. And I really believe this. If people would call this number and put this victory all over the world on every available voice, every available outlet, God, the father, he would say, Jesus, go get him. He says, Jesus, go ahead and go get him. <laughs> this kind of stuff right here is why people are leaving the church left and right. Because there's some people who still buy into this stuff. Obviously, guys like that are multimillionaires, right? There's people that still buy into this stuff, but it's a prosperity gospel. That's what prosperity gospel looks like. If you would give more money to my ministry, then Jesus will come back sooner. Y'all, in case you don't know, the Bible does not say that. Just in, in case, okay? Now, we don't show a lot of videos about people like this who are, who are church leaders, 
But every now and then you have to delineate yourself from certain groups of people, right? And I know a lot of people here, probably here watching online, like, like you might follow guys like that. You know what I'm saying? And I wanna encourage you to, uh, to, <laughs> to not. <laughs> to, to not follow guys like that. <laughs> and I know that you can, you know, kind of oddly stack certain doctrinal things and certain verses in order to build this, this doctrine that says that that's true, but, but it's, poor, it's poor theology. So you have prosperity gospel over here, right? But guess what? The overreaction to prosperity gospel is poverty gospel, which is if you have anything nice that you must be doing something wrong or you must have stolen it from someone else or you must be taking advantage of something. You know what I'm saying? Both of those are error and both of those are wrong. And at Northwood, we don't believe either of those, okay? There, there's people, yeah, come on. There's people who have a lot of money and a lot of resources who, who are very pleasing to God and they're, they're, it's, it's good. It's not about that. Y'all, the, the Bible doesn't say that, that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, okay? And, uh, and, it, and it, gets very, it gets very finicky. So whenever we, whenever we combine money and prestige and pride and all this kind of stuff with the Bible and the church. And when we start putting that all together, things get really nasty, get really, really nasty. And so you can see why people have issues with the church. And, uh, and you know, so if you're watching here today, thinking these thoughts, I, I see the same things you do and I have a problem with it as well. But there's a lot of opinions about how church leaders should manage church resources. But what does the Bible say about how churches should manage their resources. What does the Bible say about church leaders handling the resources of the church? Not much. There's no like church finance chapter one, verse three, just in case you were wondering, okay? There's no like certain book you go to and Jesus is like, okay, this is how we're gonna do this, all right? Okay, this is how, you know, you're gonna have the economy and then you're gonna have people and then you're gonna do this. No, no, no. There are biblical principles of stewardship like there is for your own personal finances, okay? It, it's the same mindset applied to church finances. And um, we're not getting into all those details today, but I wanna let you know this, that at the end of the day, there is a need for a massive amount of trust between people who um, attend a church and the church leaders who, may, uh, who uh, steward those resources. And there's never gonna be a leap past that. There's always, and there's certain committees and boards and church structures that seek to uh, provide safety in that area. And at times what you'll see is, you, you know, okay, now the pastor's not mishandling the finances, but the, the, the volunteer guy who's a part of the committee is. So you, then you got people who don't trust the pastors, but then, you got boards who mishandle it too, right? So it's, why? Because people are people. And anytime you put people together, there is the possibility of corruption and mishandled people, finances, all sorts of things. And so at Northwood, just to let you guys know, we've had 30 whatever years of financial integrity. We haven't had any, you know, any, any weird wonky business happening. And, uh, and, you know, at times, that's, sometimes that's all you can stand on is say, listen, we're church, we're, our church is debt-free. You know, my dad was pastor here for 30 years before I was. And, uh, and you know, we didn't, there was never any like, uh, oh, where did that 15 grand go? Oh, uh, ooh, pastor's got a real nice suit on. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. There still has to be trust, just like there is in every other arena. We have to trust one another, and that's hard in, in a day and age like we live in. So, but church leaders are responsible for that. Church leaders are also responsible for, to steward proper doctrine. First Corinthians, Paul says this, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, church leaders, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The mysteries of God throughout scripture is referred to as the gospel. It's the truth of the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus. And so there's stewardship of proper doctrine about that mystery. And again, this is an example of what it looks like. We're responsible, um, we're responsible for it. Did you know that, that teachers, people who get up in front of people as, as an authority figure and preach the gospel are gonna be held to account for, those, for that teaching, that we will be judged for how we teach. It's why every week that I come out here, my hands are sweaty. <laughs> I don't take this lightly and neither does any of the other teaching team. We don't take lightly what we do because we know that we have to stand before Jesus one day of how we framed up his word and we take it with a lot of, um, a lot of humility. So, um, so we steward proper doctrine. So our goal is to steward what God has given us to advance the kingdom of God. Last statement. And there's a ton more I could say about everything that we're talking about here today. It's just, we gotta keep moving because we're out of time. The last statement for today that progressive Christians say is that peacemaking is more important than power. Power. Peacemaking is more important than power. And this word power is a word that people use to describe authority. And accurately, it's, it's true. In our society, there's a lot of conversations about power and who has power, who doesn't have power. And that same conversation finds its way into the church of there's people who have power and people who don't. And there's people who misuse that power. But this statement is an overcorrection to people who exercise their authority or their power irresponsibly. I wanna give you an example. I have a friend who is a pastor of a, uh, a smaller church, a much, much, uh, a very, very small church. And um, by the way, can I say this? There's a lot of people who say churches that have a lot of people and are big are the problem. Mega churches and whatnot, those are the problems. Those are the bad, I mean, all those guys, da, 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 da. There's a lot of, a lot of situations where you can point and say there's, there's a lot of corruption. However, there's equal amounts of corruption and sin in small churches. You just don't ever hear about it, Okay. I know that there is, I, I know people, okay? It's just, they don't get on the front page of you know, every website out there. There's corruption everywhere. And I'm not, that's not an excuse. I wanna say it, it's not an excuse. It is a reality though, but, but just because it's, there's a bigger church than a smaller one doesn't mean that there's more propensity to sin in the big one than there is for the little one. It's all over the place. So again, I got a buddy, super close to this guy. Uh, he's an incredible guy. I've known him for many years now. He's a pastor of a small church. And uh, there was a transition in the church and, and whenever he stepped in. And there was a, a group of people, so much different church than this, um, very traditional. And there was a group of people who had been in that church for about 40 years. Like their family, lots of power. You know what I'm saying? They were like, they were, they were like this, the, the pillar of the church, you know, financially. And they're on every committee and every board. And and uh, as he began to make some very small changes, nothing crazy, uh, they had problems with that. And they began to push back on those changes. And I'm talking like, like not <laughs> it would have been respectful to go directly to him. I'm talking about going to all the people in the church, plant little seeds of doubt. Well, can you, you know, I, I just disagree 
with how he's leading. Do you agree that you disagree? That we di- do we di- we disagree together, don't we? We yes, we okay, good, 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 good. Hey, do we also disagree? Yes, yes, yes. Pastor, we all disagree with you. It's basically what happens, and that happens all over the place. And uh, I was talking to him. I was like, man. You know, he's bleeding. Like, he's just like, dude, I'm trying, trying to love people, trying to do my best. And uh, I said, let me ask you a question, man. Because, by the way, I've never grown up in a political church. I don't mean that, like, government politics. I mean that, like, power plays in church. We've never had politics in this church. Uh, we, like, we, like re- we reject politics in this church. And I was like, man, let me ask you a question. Why don't they just leave? If they hate <laughs> what's going on so much, and if they don't like your leadership so much, like instead of expending so much energy, energy to undermine the majority of the church that's actually loving what's going on with genuine hearts, why don't they just roll out? He said, oh, it's simple. He said, then they, if they went somewhere else, they wouldn't have any power. And y'all, I mean, I'm a little slow. I wasn't thinking about it. Whenever he said it, like a light switch went off and I was like, Pah! I'm like, oh, if they go somewhere else, they gotta start from scratch right? And they were very, very old. They didn't have enough time to start from scratch. <laughs> that was wrong. I shouldn't have made that joke. Sorry. They've been there for 40 years. It's not like they were 25. Come on. But that's how it happens, man. That's how it happens. They, so I, I, I say that story to paint a picture where people misuse power in a lot of different ways, and it's not always top-down. Make sense? All right. So, I'm going to find my place here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, last page. Last page. Some of you guys are like, thank, thank God. <laughs> but these situations beg this question. How should church leadership lead? Okay. Y'all, we, we live in a day and age where it's very difficult to lead anything. It's really difficult, y'all. Whether you are a manager at your job whether you're a father, a mother, okay, a pastor, a politician, like you could be a really pure-hearted politician nowadays and nobody thinks that you are. <laughs> Come on, y'all, right? We don't trust politicians. Pastors are right there as well, church leaders. Uh, and I say church leaders because it's not just pastors. There's other church leaders in the church as well. But, but if we just ask this question, how should church leadership lead? What should it look like? Let's go to the word. First Peter 5. Uh, the verse before this, Peter's talking about how he's an elder, and he says, as a fellow elder, speaking to other elders, he says, I appeal to you, I appeal to you, other church elders, other, other leaders in the church, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under, under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So these scriptures are, uh, these are like tenets of, of what it means to be a pastor, how to actually pastor, how to lead people. He says that church leaders should lead willingly, not out of obligation, not forced to, not because they have to, because they genuinely desire to, not eagerly, not for shameful gain, okay? Not for, by the way, it's very important that you see not for shameful gain. Uh, pastors and church leaders, different church leaders will 
have gain from being uh, a church leader at times financially, okay? There are some who work uh, their vocation in vocational ministry, and some are not, and that's fine, but it's not unbiblical for uh, church leaders to make an income off of uh, off of the money in the church. Does that make sense? You can go look in the Bible, you can see where the priests, the Levites were, were supported by the, in the temple, and you can also, if you wanna go look at like 1 Corinthians 9, that's an example of Paul talking about, um, about church leaders being paid. And uh, so it's, but, but whenever it says shameful game, it's um, <clears throat> kind of the video that we just showed. All right, there's a, there's a line where it's, now it's about the money. Now it's about the prestige. Now it's about the power. Now, and you can, you can kind of feel that. Right, and so here Peter says, "Don't do it for those reasons." And if you do, you should probably take a break. But uh, after that, he says, "And and and do it humbly, not overbearing, not lording it over the people." And what happens is, in any place of authority, a lot of people, the authority goes to their head, okay, and they like the sound of their own voice and they like the power that they have in certain positions, and so they they begin to pressure people. Deeper and deeper, they begin to, and I mean, y'all probably heard of the, the shepherding movement years ago. There's a lot of guys who would, if, <laughs> if you wanted to buy a car, you had to go ask your pastor to make sure that you got spiritual advice to make sure that it was okay if you went and buy a certain car or whatever. No, I don't wanna know what kind of car you buy, <laughs> right? But that's what happens. Things become, and, and Peter's like, no, don't do that. Be examples to the flock. So, so pastors, church leaders should lead willingly, eagerly, uh, not for shameful gain and humbly. And we also see, and I kind of hit on this earlier, this is the last scripture, that uh, leaders are accountable. Leaders are accountable. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keeping watch over your souls are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So I'll get back to the accountability thing. There is an instruction for people who are following church leaders to obey and submit. And those words are really difficult to use nowadays because of how people use them. Obey, submit. Can I just use another word? Trust. Like, like trust your leaders. You know, um, we have four lead pastors, uh, one over each location. And um, on a week-to-week basis, uh, they, th- there's... They're having way more interaction with each location. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. Ocean Springs, Wiggins, and, and Long Beach, you know, uh, me personally, even though I might have the title of senior pastor, um, you know, I'm there a couple times a year, right? And so your, your pastor is your lead pastor. They're preaching to you. They're, they're, they're walking through your, your uh, issues in your home. They're, they're with you. And, and these are your leaders. And so, so I'm not speaking about myself right now, but, but knowing them, uh, you can trust them. You can trust them. And so I'd encourage you to trust them. When somebody is proven trustworthy, it's okay to trust them. It really is. And so I wanna encourage you in that. Um, but he says that church leaders are accountable. Accountable. And accountability is a good thing. Without accountability, there's where, that's where corruption happens. It's where the abuse of power happens. And uh, it's where manipulation starts taking place. So there has to be accountability. And, and honestly, guys, a lot of the things that are going on in our, in our culture nowadays, it's a call for accountability and rightfully so. Rightfully so. People who are in the public eye, who step into a role, accountability is connected to that. And if there's not accountability, then it's not, it's, eventually it's not gonna be a good situation. In every church, 
Come on, in every family, in every society, politically, as far as our government's concerned, when, when people can make laws that they don't have to live by, we've got problems, right? Because they're not accountable to their own laws. Like there's a whole lot of stuff we could say. Authority is God-given and it creates, Good authority is God-given, and it creates order in our society, in our families, and in our churches. And so accountability is needed. And where there's not accountability, there should be reforms where there is accountability, okay? So, so uh, who are church leaders accountable to? Church leaders are, first of all, accountable to God, what I just kind of alluded to. One day, whenever I stand before God, it's not gonna be, hey, Jordan, how did you live your life? It's gonna be, Jordan, how did you live your life? But how did you also manage the church that you were a leader of? How did you treat those people? There's, for a lot of us, we, we won't have that secondary question, right? And uh, again, that's why we have sweaty palms. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're uh, um, accountable to God. Number two, we're accountable to presbytery, which is oversight. Um, for me personally, uh, I have overseers who can legally come in and shut me down, who can take over this pulpit and remove all authority from me if I get into sin or if I get into uh, improper doctrine or whatever the case is. We, we are a non-denominational church, just so you know, but it does not mean that we are just like, you know, just out there doing whatever we want. No, they're, they're, we, we have a relationship and we're in networks of people who can call us on the carpet if there's any sort of improprietary actions that are taking place here. So there is submission to that, but I also wanna let you know that we're accountable as pastors and, and every church leader in Northwood, we're accountable to the people in the church as well. <laughs> like, you, you know, reputation matters, right? And so a lot of people think, oh, there's no accountability, there's no this, that, like people can just abuse, whatever. I was talking to our board a few weeks ago and I said, you know, uh, you can't have perfect bylaws. You can't have everything, can't be, it just can't, man. There, is, there, is there a perfect legal system out there? No, but you could do your best. And, and but here's the deal. For me, in, in my accountability to a board or my overseers, my reputation means a lot. And so for a board member who sees wrong actions to be taking place to quit and then to go talk to other people. That's a form of accountability that, that you know what I'm saying? Come on, y'all, it matters. And so, so I, I, this message is kind of like a, a double, we're kind of having two conversations at the same time. We're talking about what's going on in our culture as far as people, how they look at authority in general. And then we're also talking about how it's playing out in the church. And then we're also talking about how it plays out here in this church. And so there's a whole lot more to be said about all of this, but um, my goal today was just that you, you guys would have an understanding about my heart, about this church, about our leaders, how we approach uh, ministry, how we approach authority. And, um, and uh, we do hope, honestly, we do hope that we're doing a good job with that. But, but we do believe that church leadership is essential to provide oversight, faithful stewardship, and doctrinal clarity with grace and humility. So no matter what we face as a society, no matter how much distrust there is in leadership and in authority, and there's a lot of reasons for those conversations, we still believe that church leadership is essential because good church leadership provides safety. Faithful stewardship provides trust for people to, to believe that whenever they, let's just talk, when they give their money that people are actually handling it well, right? for doctrinal clarity, that you guys know that, that there's, uh, there, there's clarity in what we believe here and that we are teaching good, clear doctrine. We believe in these things, and so we wanna do these things with grace and humility. I wanna wrap up with this verse, and then we're gonna pray. Acts 20, verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and, uh, and all the flock. 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I read that scripture because I want you to see a couple of things. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit is ultimately the delegator of authority, right? And so the Holy Spirit makes people, uh, uh, if you believe this, if you believe what the word says, uh, leaders. All authority has been given by God. And it says at the end there that, that do this well because this church was purchased with the blood of Jesus. All things tie back to Jesus. And the, the church, the body of Christ is nothing without the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We said earlier, talking about doctrines and philosophy, how uh, we don't wanna be um, um, convinced or, or, or taken away by doctrines that are of this world, but, but doctrines that are founded in Christ. And the church of Christ is important. It's important many years ago, it's still important today. And so there's leaders, there's people who follow those leaders, but then together we make a community. And I, again, I wanna say this before I pray. Uh, you can trust the leadership at Northwood Church. I know for some of you, this is your first time here and you're like, wow, what a, <laughs> what a weird first sermon to hear, okay? Okay, we don't talk about this every single week. Uh, actually, this is the first time that I've really talked about uh, church leadership like this. But um, it's led by good people. Your group leaders, they're good people. They love you. We're here to serve you. We're here to minister to you. We want more for you than from you. We're not here to exploit people. We're here to minister to people. And, uh, and uh, the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy even this community. And so if you've been struggling with some of the things that we've talked about here today, um, I wanna encourage you to, to have conversations, uh, not with general people, but if you've had co- uh, difficulty with some things, go to your pastor. Go to your pastor, talk to him. And, uh, and let's continue to, to have a, a good, safe, uh, healthy culture here at Northwood Church. Y'all with me on that? Yeah, come on. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for you. And then uh, all of our lead pastors are gonna come up and close us out. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for authority. We thank you for leadership. And God, we pray that you would continue even in our nation, in our, in our family, in our homes, in our schools, in our, in our jobs, and in our churches. God, that you would continue to refine the authority and the leadership that is there. God, you know about the corruption, you know about the sin, you know, you know about all the things that we don't know about. And so God, we're asking, Father, we're asking for exposure of improper actions. God, abuse of authority from the highest level to the smallest. God, to the things that are visible, to the things that nobody will ever know about. God, that you would stir the pot. And God, that there would be a, a refinement in, in the corruption that we, that we see. God, in our government, God, we are praying right now for the authority uh, from our president, through the cabinet, all the different branches, God, all the way down to the local governments. God, there's so much things, so many things that, that we are, um, as citizens, we live underneath. And God, we're praying for our president. We pray that you give him wisdom. God, that you would uh, help him and the people that, that advise him. God, that you would use him. God, we pray uh, uh, life over him. God, that you'd speak to him. That you would sp- God, that you would reveal yourself to him. Support him, God. We pray for all the, other, all the other branches. Lord, God, there's so many people that are both corrupt, but also those that are there for the right reasons. And Lord, we're praying for those with the right reasons, with the right heart, that they would have favor, that they would have grace, that you would give them wisdom, that you'd protect them physically and spiritually and emotionally. God, because we wanna live in a good nation. God, we wanna live in a good society. 
God, we know that America has so many things that are good about it. And God, we know that there's a lot that's negative about it at the same time. So God, would you heal our land? Would you heal our land, Father? Would you, would you help our churches to be a light in a dark place? God, that the church, the reputation of your church, God, would you restore it? Would you restore it? God, it might be a painful process of repentance and forgiveness, transparency and accountability. But God, we're asking that you would restore your church. God, that the reputation of the church would be restored once again to where it's not a mocking, people don't mock it, people don't make fun of it, but God, people would see it as a beacon, as a place where there's real people who are following a real God. We thank you for this. We thank you for your word again, that you have authority, that you've given us your authority to read and to know, and God, that you would help us to live in unity together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.